You might have read this this week. At 1.30 on Monday lunchtime, well away from the cameras and the public, an enfeebled and emaciated Deputy First Minister Mark McGuinness walked into First Minister Arlene Foster's office and greeted her in a virtual whisper. Mrs Foster rose to her feet, shocked at Mr McGuinness's disposition, moved towards him, took him in her arms, cleaved him to her bosom and said, Martin, it'll be all right. You and I are going to sort out this mess. I'll step aside for a little while and I'll go out and tell the world that life is too short for all this bickering and arguing. This didn't happen. I imagine this on Tuesdays I reflected on my sense of shock on seeing the giant figure of the Deputy First Minister on our TV screens. What I thought of the events of the day had been otherwise, and Arlene Foster, mindful of all our human physical frailties, had acted graciously in the circumstances. Northern Ireland would potentially be a different place now just for the possibility of that. One single act of grace and leadership at the hands of Arlene Foster would probably have melted the possibility of what now expects to be a brutal election. Those are the words of uh, Eamon Malley. He wrote them uh, in first, I think, his blog. That's where I first heard them. And then they were published in the Irish Times. Dreaming that it would be something different. But for me, most interestingly, under the title of Grace, the piece was called Grace. And he was calling for an act of grace. Sectarianism is back. Of course it had never gone away. And Ken had written on it a number of years ago and probably didn't get enough traction for the writing he was doing on it then. And boy, do we think we need it now. I actually texted him and asked me to send me the script. Even I needed to read it again. Sectarianism has been dismissed. It's been ignored. We've denied it. We've thought everything's all right. We're 20 years on. And yet, this week, on our television screens, or wherever we've heard them, our politicians have projected the sin of this nation with vitriol. Elections, we are being told, are going to be aggressive and brutal. Sectarianism is the sin of our nation. It's been here for so many centuries. And we're going to need at some stage to deal with it in a personal and indeed a societal way. This week though I feared at times that we're on the brink of going back to the future as Kieran beautifully brought into his prayer. Frighteningly but beautifully brought into his prayer. And yet my overwhelming emotion has been one of hope and energy and let's take this threat or this opportunity and be the people of God in the midst of it. Eamon's peace brought our word. It's our word, Grace. Unmerited favour. 
God coming down, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as we were reading it in John. Yes, others can act by grace and can live by grace, but if you're wanting a definition of grace, I imagine you will always be, or most likely if you Google it, thrown back to Christian theology. And that grace was on the pages of our news and it wasn't a preacher saying it. And then on Friday, the successor to Martin and I in the Civic Leadership Award we got last year was Gary Donegan. They did it six months early, which to be honest, if it was a football trophy, I'd be really annoyed actually that I would have to have handed it back six months early. But uh, they did it six months early and Norman Hamilton gave an incredible lecture called Reframing Reconciliation. Now this is the Community Relations Council. This is not a church body. But Father Gary Donegan wins it this year. Father Martin and I won it the year before. Linda Irvine, with a Christian faith working in Skenos, out of Skenos, won it the year before. And Norman Hamilton's given the lecture at the event. Again, the people of God are in the public square and are being heard. And some of the discussion at that meeting was more encouraging than discouraging. But what do you do when you come to a congregation on Sunday morning, even if you are upstairs, to try and speak into the situation that's on the street? Well, you could do worse than take the lectionary passages of the week that you were going to preach on and try and allow those passages that have been read by Maureen and Neville to cast light across how do we respond to the heightened sectarianism of the week that's been. John chapter 1 is a wonderful passage and I've preached on it a few times here and I've talked about if I had a DeLorean and I could send it back to a moment in time it would probably be that moment when John declares look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is an incredible revelation to not only the people around him at the time but to world history. John says in this first chapter of the other John's gospel, Jesus is ahead of John because he was before him. He is ahead of me because he was before me. In the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist didn't. Jesus is the son of God and John the Baptist isn't. But what kind of son is he? Well, he's more than a light that we talk about in this chapter. He's more than a wise teacher as we'll find out later on in his life. He's more than a good moral example, though he certainly is that. What we declare in John chapter 1 is, and the reading that Maureen gave us this morning, Jesus is God's lamb. Jesus is God's victim. Jesus is God's way of coming against the evil and suffering and alienation of the world. Not by judging or condemning it from a distance, but by, but by coming to live and to love and to suffer and die. To be wounded and hurt by human evil. Like sectarianism. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sectarianism is a sin. And as we gather this morning, yes, out of our comfort zone, even if it is just upstairs. We gather as a people... Who have a belief that somehow these words of John. This Jesus that we've been singing about. Singing to. Praying to. Praying about. That this Jesus has done something. In time and space history. 
that could and should impact sectarianism in our news. And then the other passage, Isaiah 49. This is one of the many passages that is about the servant of God. Isaiah 42, 1 to 7, 50, 4 to 9, Isaiah 52, 13, right through 53, 12, that Kieron quoted a little bit of in the prayer, and Isaiah 49, 1 to 7 that we read today, all speak about this servant of God. And of course, as we were listening to Kieron praying it, and he was pierced for our iniquities in that chapter 53, we're aware that there's very little we can do other than to declare that the servant of God particularly in that passage, is the Jesus that John was saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, by his wounds we are healed, was almost right there in that passage. But if we read all the passages about the servant of God in Isaiah, we come to realise that it's slightly more layered than that. And it's about Jesus, yes. But it's about more than that. It's about you and I as servants of God. And it's about we as a community being servants of God. If we take even what we were reading or what Neville read to us in verse 6. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob. Sure, restore the tribes of Jacob. God said, that's pretty easy. No, no, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Now if we go for I will make you a light for the Gentiles... What is that talking about? What's that speaking of? Well, if we go back to Genesis 12 for Abraham and the covenant and all that stuff that's so precious to Presbyterianism, God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be my blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. There's echoes of the covenant of God having a people on earth that will shine a light across the nations, that will be a people that will bless the earth through this redeemed community. Jesus is the Father has sent me, I'm sending you, I used last week. Jesus is a servant, and he says we are his servants, so we go as Jesus went. Or Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and then he said, you're the light of the world. So the servant of God, yes, it's Christ. But also we must see ourselves right in there. So in a Northern Ireland world of division and brutal sectarianism, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I've said already that the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. And there's something here about the healing of the wounds and the malaise and the illness that is around us. And we are called to be a servant community. The opposite. The opposite of sectarianism. The opposite of sectarianism. We need to be God's servants in the midst of the sectarianism of this moment. Facebook status of the week didn't come for the sermon this week. It came for a blog I wrote earlier in the week. It's Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite writers. And this was the Facebook status that went up in front of me. Compassion is the sometimes fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside someone else's skin. Compassion is the sometimes fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside someone else's skin. It's the knowledge that there can never really be any peace and joy for me 
until there is peace and joy finally for you. Compassion. Compassion says that we do not live as servants of ourselves or our own needs or our own wants, our own sectarian group of people. Compassion says that we get inside the skin of the other. We cross the sectarian boundaries. And that we realise that unless there's peace in West Belfast, there can't be peace in East Belfast. And unless there's peace in South Belfast, there can't be peace in North Belfast. So Eamon Malley's speaking into the sectarian situation and he's saying what it needs are actions of grace. And in his little dreamt up or imagined scenario, Arlene becomes a servant of everyone, particularly in that moment of Martin, and shows a grace that crosses the sectarian bounds because in it we're going to make it all right for everyone, for everyone, not just us. And I'm sorry, I had no idea how to pronounce noblesse oblige. Is that right? <coughs> Is that pretty good? But Mali brings that up and says that's what we need in the hill. What is it? It's the responsibility for the rich, the famous and the powerful. Notably to provide good examples of behaviour or to exceed minimal standards of decency. It has also been used to describe a person taking the blame for something... In order to solve an issue or save someone else. Listen to that last line. It has also been used to describe a person taking the blame for something in order to solve an issue or save someone else. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. By his wounds we are healed. The servant of God. But then us called to be servants of God and to do the Jesus thing. The greatest danger of our sectarianism is we fall into default. As soon as something happens like this, we immediately go default. And we're prepared at the end of the day, if an election should come about, that we will not vote on any other lines other than the sectarian line. And Norman Hamilton was calling us on Friday in his uh, reframing reconciliation uh, speech or lecture. That we should have reconciliation at the top of the agenda of everything that happens in Stormont. That it should actually be written into whatever agreement we come up with next. That we make reconciliation the top of the hat when it comes to uh, finance, when it comes to health, when it comes to leisure, when it comes to languages, when it comes to all of this stuff. We should be voting for the person who has reconciliation at the top of the agenda. We are... The people of God. And what I've caught on in dabbling with this because you threw me into it and calling me to be your minister. And I found myself in places and with people that I didn't actually design that I might be with. Or befriend or see leaving the house and wondering if anybody else has seen them leaving the house. What I've discovered is this. That almost every politician I have met in a time with or have even listened to at Four Corners or other events. Are all genuinely really good people wanting to do really good things for the entire community. And then, 
default or election or power or blame and they suddenly polarise again. And the issues that they're most fervent on, most of them, are not the issues that they get to rant about on TV, most of them. I can remember a politician on the way out of a meeting I was in, going to the car, and the politician saying, I just need to be more courageous, Steve, don't I? I just need to be more courageous, Steve, don't I? Now, where's their courage going to come from? Who are the people that are going to create a place and a space in our community that's going to allow us to go away from the sectarianism? Well, here it is, folks. Shalom or peace in Northern Ireland is not going to drip down out of the Deputy and First Minister's office. It's got to creep up. I was going to say from the pews of Fitzroy, but I would have got that particularly wrong. From the seats that we're in right now. It's got to be the people on the ground who creep up to the people in power and say, we will not have sectarianism anymore. We want reconciliation. We want grace. We want to be servants of the other. We want something that's different. And that's not the monopoly of those who worship across Ireland this morning, whether we're Presbyterian or Catholic or whatever we are. Because there are some who are not worshipping this morning who will show some of that grace and that reconciliation. So I'm not declaring some arrogant monopoly on this stuff. But what I am calling myself to, and what I am calling all of us to, is that we have no choice but to live this servant of God calling that we've been given because we've somehow reached out and connected with John's words, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I had no idea where I was going to end this, but let me end it here. At the end of that passage that Neville read, we find people coming up to Jesus and saying, uh, uh, following him, because they're interested. He said, Lamb of God, let's see where he's going. And Jesus looks around at them and he says, What is it that you want? What is it that you want? And then they say to him, where are you staying? Now can I bring that home to us today? As those who've come and sung a few choruses and hymns and have listened to Father Kieran pray and those readings from scripture by Maureen and Neville and some reflection by myself. Those who've kind of got up this morning and said, yeah, we're up for at least investigating this Jesus, at least listen to who he is. Jesus is saying to us, what do you want? What is it you want? What is it you want personally in your life? What is it you want to live for? What is it you want for your community? What is it you want for your children? What is it you want for the people that you work with? And what is it you want? And then, yes, he says to them, come and see where I'm staying. But there's something more going on there. It's not just come and see where I'm staying. It's come and see where I am and come with me and join the band. Join this group of disciples. Come and see how I do it. Come and see what it's like to be a servant. And come and be a servant too. 
How do we respond? How do we respond when we hear the news? How do we respond when we see the divisions? How will we respond over six weeks, please it doesn't happen, of listening to political debate about election? How do we respond? Let's respond positively. One of the politicians sat in this very room and he said to the group that was meeting with him, you know, you're all leaders. Every one of you is a leader. Everybody in this room now is a leader. I support Manchester City because some 10-year-old kid in 1969 led me in a very bad direction. He was only 10, but he led me to change my life. And the misery that my family might have by 4 o'clock today of Everton beat us is all because there was a young 10-year-old leader. Some of us are being led to go to SU Cups in the morning and get online at 9 o'clock so as we can book. Others are trying to get U2 tickets in Croke Park because somebody somewhere said, listen to this. Listen to this song. Or come to this concert. Some of us are here. And I'm here because my 17-year-old mate, Philip McRae, told me about Jesus. Whoever led you to listen to what you're listening to, to read what you're reading, to have the faith or whatever you have for God or whatever else, the football team you support, all those things were people who led. And they were ordinary people. They weren't elected as leaders. They weren't powerful people. They were just ordinary people who led you to make life-changing decisions. We're all leaders. Everyone in this room. And as we go out into the midst of the sectarianism on our street, we go out with those words echoing in the back of our minds. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you, light for the nations, blessing for the nations. I am the light of the world, you are the light of the world. Let's, in the midst of our sectarianism, go and serve. Go and serve and show the compassion that might change our society. Let's pray. Lord, Chris led us into thinking how we felt this week before our last section of worship. I pray that however we responded to that, that you would take us away from here, finding some hopefulness in the midst of the despair of it. Being encouraged and inspired to just make that little difference that we can make in the conversations we have this week. As we think later tonight about faith in the front line, that we can, in the front line of our lives, just have that quiet, ordinary leadership that might take us away from the sectarian sin to a reconciling kingdom of shalom and of your reign. By your Spirit, show us how we can be those leaders. In Jesus' name, amen.